Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. All righty. I think I have my sound setup done, and I have my reading wine. Yes. Oh, wow. I had a lot of coffee today for my day job because I do a podcast as part of my day job also now, and that sometimes requires getting really amped up in order to be conversational and fun and funny about a topic like information security and computer security. So I did a lot of coffee today. I like how I said I did a lot of coffee today. I guess it is a drug. Anyway, that coffee is worn off. And I just got back from a really lovely walk with the dogs under some extremely thick gray clouds and the sound of thunder. And now I have my reed and wine. And it is time to ease into the evening. So I'm going to be really honest and say that I don't remember where I was in the story last time, and I'm so lazy that I have not gone and listened to it. So I'm going to go to a part just before where I was based on where my Kindle opened to and start there. Maybe with one more sip. Okay, two. But I mean, at this point, I might as well do a third. Oh, yeah. (sighs) Oh, I can just feel the workday melting away. So, back to his shrine to Santa Muerte in Wrapped in White, 13 Tales of Spectres, Ghosts, and Spirits, from Sekhmet Press. Jesus, Warren said, that's the real deal. Santa Muerte, Saint Death. La Hermana Blanca, Maria breathed, the white sister. Her voice was soft, more apprehensive than respectful. What's the significance? Lorraine gestured at the altar. What are we looking at? Maria brushed dark Latina hair from her own forehead. Mesoamerican Catholic syncretism, she said. She was trying to sound very clinical. Lorraine hoped the girl didn't think anyone was trying to hold her responsible for this by some cultural proxy. The headline version is a death cult followed by criminals in Mexico. Ethnographically, it's more complex than that. 
Her cult attracts people on the edge in some way. The poor, the aged, the abandoned, the homeless, the vulnerable. She's worshipped by cops in a country full of crime, by the criminals they pursue, by queer communities, by prostitutes, by the aspirational. The girl swallowed some fear and went on. She protects the outcasts, and she's generous with favors for those who show their devotion. Gold candles are for money. Maria looked away from the altar, glancing around self-consciously at the others. A trans man might burn blue for protection. A call girl might burn red to attract passion. She, it, it's been brought stateside by immigrant communities. <clears throat> Warren stepped around and opened the cabinet. It was so full of tiny things, trinkets, combs, a desiccated corsage. They nearly spilled out onto the floor. Lorraine turned in place, peering around the room. Grant's spirit had followed them here. He hovered at the edges of the light, silent witness to whatever might occur. Just easing into view elsewhere, Lorraine could see other figures less defined. Why would someone set this up? I mean, here, in a library, rather than a graveyard or the like. Because it works. The speaker was a new voice, thin and reedy and wheezing. He emerged from the shadows of the library's stacks. His dress shirt had been white once, a long time ago, and his black tie was a little ratty. His skin was pale, almost gray. His hair was greasy and unkempt where he had tried without success countless times to comb it back into place with fingers as rough as a rasp. He looked old and withered, but entirely physical. Because she gives me what I want when I ask in the proper way. Why does anyone venerate any of the powers? The man reached up and ran sandpaper fingers over the stubble of evening. Creases wrinkled at the corners of his narrowed eyes. A scream is a terrible way to go unnoticed when breaking and entering, by the way. Now tell me who are you and why are you in my library? He paused. Or shall I wait and let you tell the police? You aren't going to call the police. Lorraine said. She smiled a little in her motherly way. Of course I am. You're burglars. You've broken into my library after hours. The man chuckled with a brittle little wheeze. One of the candles is black, Auntie Anne murmured from beside Lorraine's elbow. That one is for criminals, Maria said. It's for people who want to keep the police away from whatever they're doing. Ah, the old man said, you know a little something about magic. We certainly know a little something about ritual, Lorraine replied. She kept her voice steady, staying cool and collected as she always did, even when they summoned up something really weird. She gestured at those shadows, at the things she'd seen moving at the edges of the light. Maria drew a breath as she saw for the first time the other figures emerging from the darkness. Auntie Anne showed no reaction. Silent but attentive, Warren sketched feverishly in his book. So how does this fit together? Lorraine asked it in a tone that was mostly flat, but with a wrinkled curl of curiosity at the edges. What's the scam you're running that needs your patroness's help? Lorraine glanced around again. Counterfeit collector's editions? Forged autographs? Auntie Anne wore the smirk of someone whose cynicism has been rewarded. 
No, girl, that's too easy. Nobody needs magic for that. He's looking for something much harder to find. The real things, rarer than rare. He's using that altar and whatever ghosts he can call up to point him at the most valuable books they would know of for him to sell. The man smiled with something like curdled pride. Do you know what happens to old libraries like this? He lifted one elbow, nudging the air to indicate their surroundings. Death by a thousand cuts. First they get rid of the part-time staff, then some of the full-time, and then it's just down to one old coot a few hours a week. They take the pension plan away. They take the magazines. They take the newspaper subscriptions. The board tells us we need to be more... He chewed a splintered bone of a word before spitting it out. Interactive. Puh. What do they know? You spend 40 years wiping their kids' noses before story time, and they thank you by dropping off a truckload of books their dead mothers never read and cutting back your Medicare. They cut hours, and they cut funding, and they cut maintenance, and they cut good sense. They buy you computers you don't know how to use. They buy you TVs from the elementary school's junk sale. He worked his thin, greasy lips together like earthworms passing in chalky muck. It ain't right. A man's got to do something. They took it all away from me. I'm just taking a little back. Warren paused his pen, blinking rapidly. You're using magic to help you sell the books that get donated to you? He's using it to find the things they valued, Maria said. He summons up their spirits and forces them to lead him to whatever they had that was worth the most. It isn't as bad as you make it sound, the man said. He sniffed, dredging the riverbed of expression for a scrap of dignity. I ask Santa Muerte to show me the little things that will help me most, and she uses their... His voice faltered. He'd probably never had to say this part aloud, and he realized now how it was going to sound as soon as it was out in the open. She sends their image to point things out to me. Sometimes those are books. Sometimes those are... He faltered again. Other things, Auntie Anne supplied. Lorraine watched as Grant's spectral image stepped out of the shadows. He turned to face her. Behind him were other ghosts, an old widow in a black veil, a young man in military dress, a middle-aged woman. They all had those same manacles, the black orbs instead of eyes, and their mouths were all stitched shut as Grant's had been. Lorraine's mind whirred and she spoke aloud. You bind them, you raise them up, then strike them blind and mute. You don't want them to have too much agency because they scare you. They aren't just images, they're spirits. You're worried they'll tell someone. Go flitting off in the night to haunt a loved one's dreams, maybe, or hitch a ride home from a kindly stranger on an old country road. So you tie them to this place and you silence them. Lorraine started to step forward, menacing, but caught herself. This was not the moment. You're turning dead people into slaves, so you can force them to surrender to you, their most prized possessions. It isn't like I only take, the man said. I give of myself also. The ink in that book on your altar, Auntie Anne cooed. I know blood on parchment when I see it. Yes. The man suddenly looked weak. 
withered, drained. His eyelids drooped and his shoulders sagged. They've taken everything else from me. Blood was all I had to give to Santa Muerte. He lifted his eyes. I was desperate. I still am. She calls out to people like me. She gives us hope where we have none. She promises to make it better for us. Warren licked dry lips. And when we walked into your library carrying Grant's old journal, the most valuable thing he owned, in his opinion, his spirit was summoned here too, just like the others. The man hesitated. Grant? One of our number, Lorraine replied. A dear old friend. And we brought his most treasured text into this space. We can't let you do this to him, Maria said. She'd crossed her arms, shifted her weight to one hip. Lorraine knew it as Maria's don't-make-me-be-the-grown-up stance. We have to stop you. Lorraine looked behind the man again, past Grant's restless soul, past the others, to see dozens of ghosts crowding in now. Grant still stared at her with his not-eyes. The moment had come. She thrust out one hand to the side. It was the signal Lorraine gave when she was ready to start the group's ritual work. It called them to attention, like raising a flag to start the race. My friends! Her voice was clear and strong. Books out! I need your words. They need your words. The old man's eyes widened just a fraction. He knew magic when he saw it worked. Pages flipped hurriedly behind Lorraine as the book people did what she ordered. Rapidly, in no special order, they, they called out their words to her. Warren, I'm looking forward to the change. A firing offense. Auntie Anne, let us not forget that we are far from our own district and that the local authorities won't thank us for stirring up trouble. Celebrated cases of Judge D. Warren throwing open a second paperback. When the call came, he was asleep, an exhausted sleep that was bringing him no relief. Foundation's edge. Maria, the one common characteristic of fugitives on the run is their mental state, which is one of unrelenting stress, never knowing when to expect the hand on the shoulder or the door crashing in. Born in blood. Auntie Anne. I remember Eddie bit my lip so hard it bled, and when he saw it, he made me bite him so our blood would mix, and that way we'd be a part of each other until we were together again. Death trick. Maria. A jab in the back told me to get moving. The Vesuvius Club. This was how the magic worked. When the text felt right and when the moment was ready, they opened the books they had found and read aloud. Sometimes they got what Warren called meme salad. A bunch of stuff that didn't hook together no matter how hard they tried to find a thread running through it. Sometimes they hit the jackpot, and their sentences told an obvious story. Lorraine finished the readings by throwing open the book in her hands, Grant's journal, the one with all the quotes he'd ever heard read aloud in this way by these people. And her eyes dropped to the first place that felt right. Her voice was clear as she read, And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? the Merchant of Venice. Lorraine looked up and around at the others. Separation, sleep without rest, anticipation, a stirring goodbye, consequences. 
Lorraine's eyes turned to the old man and to the many ghosts who crowded around him now. Their mutilated lips strained to open. The librarian shivered, trapped in the cold aura of their dead hunger. He had thought to profit from the detritus of their lives, and for so small a thing, so insignificant in the grand working of the universe, he'd bound their souls and silenced them. It was not, Lorraine thought, so terribly unlike what the people who ran this place had done to the librarian. Our friend has spoken to us without speaking. Lorraine's voice was soft because there was no reason any more to challenge this sad old man. He was beaten, and he was going to suffer for it. The texts had made that perfectly clear. It was not her decision, but it was, she knew, her responsibility to bring it to fruition in the right way. The universe had ordered itself in favor of recompense, but she'd spent long years learning that she alone was responsible for the magic she worked. Lorraine could choose how that vengeance was dispensed, but she had to be able to live with herself after. Grant has communicated intent by his own hand through his most treasured book across the gulf of time and space and even the chasm of death. Lorraine closed the journal and held it to her chest against her heart. Tell us your name, old man. His features softened and some of his age seemed to fall away. My name is Harold, he said. I've been here since I was practically a boy. What do you think is going to happen next, Harold? Auntie Anne's voice was gentle also, and her eyes bright and moist. I think you're going to kill me, he said. You're going to hand me over to the spirit realm where the rest of them are waiting. I won't deny, Lorraine said the appeal of that idea. It would definitely provide a sense of closure. She savored that word. But it isn't the closure we came here to have tonight. Quick as a flash, the lockpick was in her hand. She held it out before her like a makeshift wand and said, voice soft, by our words, action. The threads sealing the lips of Grant and the others unraveled with the slow, slick sound of a silk knot unraveling. Glistening tendrils fell away from half-seen lips. The spirit's mouths gaped open, and a guttural roar poured out. They didn't scream as Maria had done. The sound they made started much deeper at the ice-knife edge of late winter, and it had to stretch far through frozen earth to be heard in the world of the living. It was the sound of the agonized dead calling out for help and revenge. Harold clutched his hands to his ears and staggered, falling to one knee, enfeebled by the weight of all that sound at his back. The dead surged forward and around him, and the book people could no longer see him in the center. They could only hear his pleading cries as he begged for mercy. Lorraine turned to the others. Most looked away. Auntie Anne observed the dead with a jarringly neutral expression. Maria looked only at Grant. Will they be free now? The girl's voice was quiet. Yes, Lorraine said, because we will free them. She set Grant's tome on the counter of the reference desk with great reverence before reaching to take Maria's and Auntie Anne's hands. 
Warren picked up his journal again, sketching with renewed vigor. Lorraine's voice, Lorraine's voice piped up over the dull roar of the angry dead. Departed! Attend us! The moaning faded, slowly, as a small army of spirits turned to the living woman who had dared command them. Maria looked at the floor. Auntie Anne stood with closed eyes, and Lorraine turned to look directly at the many ghosts. We free you, she said, her voice a low murmur. We free you from this man's bindings. We free you to return to your rest. Warren closed the book in his hands, stepped over to the shrine to Santa Muerte, and one by one blew out all the candles. For long seconds, no one breathed. The spirit's shackles faded, and they turned in all directions, eyes seeing, arms lifted, mouths open as if to resume their chorus of screams. It was a risk to grant them freedom. There was no good way to know what they could do with it. I could have banished you, Lorraine said to them. I could have forced you to whatever awaits you on the other side. Her throat felt dry. But two wrongs do not make a right. Your fate should be your own. All the energy in the room bunched up like a great spring wound to the snapping point, and as a frigid gale blasted through the room, the spirits burst in all directions like pale fireworks. They left rather than stay to torment their former captor because the dead, being wiser than the living, no freedom is always better than revenge. Waves of cold crashed across the room, and Maria once again screamed. When the wind settled, Lorraine looked up, and only Harold and Grant remained with them. Harold still squatting in terror, frail arms over his head, with Grant hovering nearby. Their old colleague's voice was like wind on wet sand when he spoke. He'll do it again, Grant whispered to them across vast dis distances and echoed himself. He'll do it again. He floated close now, just a waste-up shadow of the man he'd been. Insubstantial hands caressed the cover of the journal he had made. Someone must watch. Stay to stop him. Are you asking to remain here? To watch him lest he bind more of the dead? Auntie Anne opened her eyes again, and she gazed unflinching at the spirit of their former friend. You could go to your rest instead. Grant's hollow eyes turned, and he barely, barely smiled at them. Sometimes magic requires a sacrifice, he said. Lorraine let go of the other's hands, picked up Grant's book, and carried it behind the desk. Gingerly, with great care, she lifted Harold's book of parchment and spilled blood, and set it to one side. She eased Grant's down in its place, and for just a moment put her hand in its very center. Goodbye, Grant, Lorraine said. May you find your peace after he finds his. She nodded to indicate Harold, still cowering in fear the ghosts might return. Grant nodded once, turned, and drifted off into the stacks, out of the circle of light, to fade into the shadows of his new home. Lorraine began to gather... Blah, blah, blah. Lorraine began to gather up the trinkets stuffed into the small wooden cabinet. Stuffing them into her bag, she stood and with steady hands very gently took hold of the figure of Santa Muerte. She showed it great respect, 
because every God serves a purpose, and every faith fills a need. Let's go, she said to the book people. We came to put an artifact to rest, and are leaving with many more. A witch's work is never done, Auntie Anne said to Maria and Warren. Never done. Remember that. They locked the door as they left. Another season behind them. Wow. Okay. Well, that was really fun to read, uh, especially in the middle of a developing thunderstorm. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it, but as I finished this like great peal of thunder rolled across the sky overhead, and that was really lovely. I really enjoyed it. That was a great moment for me. Um, I hope that you enjoyed listening to the story. I ran over my usual time, but I really felt like it would have sucked to stop in the middle of that story. So there we are. Next time, I'm going to fire up the final story in this little trilogy of short stories. Uh, the third of the book Stories I Tell to Girls from Wrapped in Black. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.